0: Hemp Foundation Talks. This is part two of our three-part series with Clayton Turner. If you haven't checked out part one I highly recommend it and we'll leave the link in the description below. To give you a brief summary, in part one we learned more about Clayton and his journey into the hemp space as well as unpacked his brilliant cannabis extraction method that is not only organic but delivers targeted super responses to bring the user maximum benefits according to their needs. Don't want to miss that. In today's part two We will dive back in with Clayton to review the value of the entire hemp plant, hemp create issues, biochar capabilities and on-demand energy systems to maximize processing efficiency. And don't forget to come back for part three where we cover even more hemp batteries, waste of CBD product processing, cryptocurrency for carbon tracking and hemp bioplastics. That's really amazing. And I think that kind of segues to, I just want to segue into to the next thing that you've been doing with the plant and and taking that knowledge of of extraction and then and then like you said before the energy that we can use and how can we utilize more of a broader spectrum of this plant so share with me kind of the next steps of, of what you're doing in that area
1: yeah so the first step was um we really thought i was very innately for a long time in the cbd market I, I'm back from the days when it was five to eight thousand dollars a liter, right? So just for CBD, uh, and just for like crude, yeah. you know, like, and no one knew how to make distillate. I went the first guy making distillate in Humboldt was Micah uh, and uh, and Dougie Fresh. <laughs> and I went down to Humboldt in the middle of the snow up on the mountain by the store. And anyone down there knows what I'm talking about. And uh, uh, and I went up on that mountain and they didn't have electricity, of course. And it's very neat how they do it in Humboldt uh, before the legalization. They had rings of property on these mountains so that you had to go through one person's property to get to the next property to get to the next property and then you can get to the person cuz they own the road and everything and no they section off the property to do that so when you when you when the cops are coming each person says provide your warrant give me everything you i don't think so let me call my lawyer so there's a stall so they have to come in by helicopter, or but it, there's nowhere to land because it's all uneven. There's there's just, you got to take time to get through the mountain on these old dirt roads. And they're all caged and fenced and you have to go get the guy and you can't clip it or kick it down. So so it's like there's this whole long period of time. So we go through all these different properties. We get up there, we're in this shed, we're making it. But he was the first guy. Those were the first guys in that area. And that's a pretty big area of hemp that we're doing real distillate product and distributing it to people. Mm -hmm. And we put in their crude oil system. So I was aware of distillate early, you know, and this other process early. And um, and so from that, I realized hemp is going to take over. Cannabis Mm -hmm. is going to be here and and, and in recreational markets, it's going to be powerful, but it's not going to come close to what hemp can do. And hemp hemp is like corn. We grow 90 million acres of corn, right? Hemp is like mm-hmm. cotton. And so we're going to grow millions of acres of, of, of hemp industrially. They're, is no reason you would ever grow millions of acres of CBD or THC product. You'd have so much that every man, woman, child, horse, ant, like like it doesn't, it's got pretty good legs when you grow it. Uh, And so, you know, a few acres will feed a lot of folks for a while. And so, so realistically speaking, I was like, wow, this is going to be a tidal wave. Let's Mm -hmm. get prepped for it. So to that end, first step was find a decorticator that could decorticate this material and which by the way with my previous company that I was visionary officer of and and brought them this equipment it actually just landed and it makes great material they're setting it up right now in Colorado and it's one of the first major big decorticators that aren't a milling type decorticator but a long strand whole plant fabric cloth decorticator that, that, that makes it for bed sheets, for, for shirts, for, for all the stuff you see and want in a hemp product, not a cotton blend shirt. We're talking 100% hemp strand fiber product, uh, twine and other products as well. So, so this decorticator was the first step. You have to, hemp is a plant that you have Mm -hmm. to harvest and that's tricky on its own. And then you also have to, um, in addition to harvesting it, you also have to then do something with it. An apple, you don't have to do a lot with an apple. You get it off yeah. the tree, you hand it to someone, you're like, good. Most agricultural processing is like that. Oh, we got corn, rip off the corn, you're fine. Even right. cotton, you just take the cotton off. It's so high in cellulose, here's your cotton. Not a lot of plants need a whole lot of work afterwards to get them to whatever, unless they're like grains and other products. So mm-hmm. for for this, we said, well, let's get this in first. Let's get that going. And then what do we do with it after? And everyone's running around going, we're gonna do hemp free and we're gonna do animal bedding. We're gonna do these other things. And and I thought that's (laughs) not the future that hemp promised me from Henry Ford. That's that's not the thing that that's that's great. You're feeding chickens. I'm amazing because we're gonna sequester carbon doing it. And I don't wanna I don't wanna say that any of that isn't important, it is ultra important and I and I respect every farmer who does it. But for me personally. I can't grow a plant to save my life. My plants, when I grow a plant, it just comes out like garbage. I'm not a, I'm an engineer. I'm not a grower. So, so for me, I, I go, well, that's, you know, like I, I, I go where I want to go, which is industrial processing. And so for me, the excitement lies in what can we do that's different? And so hempcrete has some problems with it. It's not structural. So they have to add additional structure inside of it, mm-hmm. unlike cement. And it takes a lot of CO2 to cure it, which is hard to scale. And then you have to make a whole bunch of CO2 or have an offtake from someone who's doing it, which yeah. could be good. But CO2 that you make that's super pure, like in ethanol production and so on, is actually a valuable commodity used in air guns and all sorts of stuff like people have used for compressed CO2. Mm-hmm. So, so, the, so, so you're, you're in this high cost. And, and, and then you can't transport the brick very far it has to be very close to where the stuff's grown. has to be very close to where you're distributing it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has to be, otherwise it loses its benefit.
0: Right. So, and, and you- then you,
1: yeah. And then you're using fiberglass or plastic or whatever you're using inside of it to actually hold it together. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, that might work. You know, you might be able to scale that, but you're going to have to overtake the cement industry. So first off, you're going to have to fight with those guys who have a lot more money than you. And we'll say that that's not structural boo boo. Like they'll, they'll, there will be holding it up. And then they're also, you know, you need all these investment. And, and if you already have a massive cemented infrastructure, you're going to have to tear all that out, put in these new things. It's going to take time, a lot of money. And right now, every day we're running towards a climate crisis and we need a solution now. So I thought, well, even if you captured 10% of the market, which would be an amazing coup for hempcrete. If hempcrete was 10% of everything, that everyone would be just dancing around being like, we won. Like, it, it, yeah. it'd be like it's a 1000000000 multi-billion dollar industry. But even then, that's only 10%. And it would take years to get there.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: so for me, I was like, well, what can we structurally do that will make a more structural concrete and use the existing infrastructure? Because if I could, you know, if it's a hard sell and I'm a boutique industry and I'm trying to sell these bricks or the cement or whatever, and getting people to use it, um, and you can't just dump this, by the way, into cement, and you can't powder this necessarily and get structural cement, that's called chip creep. Hemp's not anything new in that regard. They've done this with wood for years. It's a non structural concrete. You, you can use it for like sidewalk or something. It's got chips of wood in it. It doesn't, it, it's not as strong if you put it in a building. You can't make multi floor buildings. That's why a lot of hempcrete buildings aren't multi floor. Some of them are, but they do those reinforcement. So for us, we said, well, let's do this. We have all that plant waste I mentioned earlier. Right. We have to generate that heat and get energy. So why don't we carbonize the plant? So the first stage would be biochar, which has a bunch of its own uses and a lot of value towards, uh, it can increase crop growth when you put it in the soil by five to 10% uh, for most crops, uh, except carrots for some reason. And it, um, it's able to uh, hold more water in the soil and it creates bioavailability for the, uh, for the actual living soil of the plant, the mycorrhizae. They live inside the little microtubes of the carbon. So if you zoom in on this, or you Google, you know, uh, biochar, and micro, uh, and, and you look at um, uh, magnified, it just looks like a bunch of little straws clumped together with a little shell around it. So so that is... Kind of uh,
0: like our, how our muscles are structured.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then that absorbs in those nanotubes, it absorbs all these nutrients and water. And mm. it gives a little home for microbes to go into that they're not just between a couple of rocks. They love so it. So
0: can those also be used then for construction...
1: So here's the thing. When you have this kind of material, it's not ideal for construction purposes. However, when you do a high heat process and you capture the emissions. So first off, I want to mention a couple things about biochar. So there's two different methods. There's slow pyrolysis and fast pyrolysis. And everyone right now, I just had a whole thing on this on uh, LinkedIn the other day. Everyone right now is uh, saying that, uh, oh, well, you want slow pyrolysis, there's more nutrients and so on in it. What they don't tell you is something called PAHs, PAH. These are very dangerous cancer-causing agents. You have to Mm wash your biochar before you do that when you do slow pyrolysis. And the problem with that is you're also, by the way, slow pyrolysis is essentially a burn barrel with another burn barrel inside of it and a just tube on the top and then they burn the stuff down below and the smoke that comes off has so much methane in it it's called syngas that mm-hmm. they light the top of it it has a fire and they just burn it into the atmosphere so that releases a a, a toxin called pm 2.5 that harvard believes is responsible for a quarter of the deaths that occur wow. yeah they certainly and, don't want to go that route i
0: mean that and
1: and big wood big wood the same guys that made hemp illegal They're out there saying, well, you don't want to use hemp for this. It's got too much silica, which I'll get into. Uh, But uh, they create these PAHs, which if you put them in the ground, can actually give people cancer from eating vegetables. So you have to wash it. But now you've washed it. And then where does that water go with all those chemicals in it?
0: Right.
1: To the ocean and -hmm. the river. So now you're releasing all these. No matter what you do, sure, you didn't put it in the food. But where did you put those PAHs? So this whole process is a dirty old school wood and petrol process. Mm -hmm. And and so the material you make is also called amorphous carbon when you run it under Raman spectrometry, which is uh, non-structural carbon black, not carbon black, non-structural carbon, which is why our system actually captures the gases, runs under a higher pressure and heat, much higher heat. Um, You might run pyrolysis as low as Two hundred fifty to three hundred degrees Celsius. We're going to be running at fourteen hundred degrees Fahrenheit when we operate these units, at least. So when you're doing, so how's that
0: that an energy use as well? It's
1: it's well, it's amazing because the power to do that is burning the plant. You have a big rotary drum unit, and you use ten percent. Think of it this way: a wood stove. You have a wood stove, and to to get your wood stove going, that's all the energy you needed. You light the paper. And then it grows. So what we do is it's a very well insulated container and we control the atmosphere to increase the pressure. And by controlling that atmosphere and controlling the oxygen, then what we're able to do is we light the fire with the 10% and then it starts generating the energy. But remember, I mentioned that stuff called syngas. So here's the actual real fun of it. Because our systems are emission-free, unlike slow pyrolysis, we capture and cool all the gas that comes off. That's that flammable gas. It's called syngas. So after the first time you run pyrolysis uh, with fast pyrolysis in the right system, then you will capture all of the syngas you need to restart your process every time. In fact, you'll have so much syngas that you end up with a surplus of 12%. And whenever the system needs a little more heat, it just injects a little of its own gas. It's it's a,
0: a feedback loop.
1: Yeah. It's a closed loop generator. It creates a surplus because there's a lot of these gases in the plant. That's why when you bury them, they off gas into the atmosphere. So, uh, so this, this is how we extract all of that from the plant. Now, while that's occurring, we're generating 1400 degrees. That's a lot that's a lot of energy. They run trains. They ran trains off of coal they put inside of a a thing and just burned it. We're at 1400 degrees. So, so for us, that's a lot of energy to run additional processes. Mm -hmm. And there's different types of thermoelectric energy systems like, um, nuclear power. And you could look at a nuclear submarine or uh, a nuclear plant they don't generate like electron electricity from nowhere. They generate heat and that heat is converted via an engine into electricity that is then provided. And we have a great thermoelectric uh, electric engine in our stack that uses a molten material that we can actually put graphite in to make graphene as a side effect of energy storage. And this molten material will store energy for a day on end so that we have on-demand energy whenever we want to run the engines and we can actually store the energy in this material. And yes. when we exit the material, when it gets enough graphite in it, that's turned into graphene, we just wash the material off, separate the graphene, dry the material, and now we put that back in. So we don't need to use, water is the only byproduct of processing graphene for us. And that's exciting because you make graphene, The thing you need is that high temperature crystalline, non-amorphous carbon called carbon black, which is a crystalline structural carbon that we also make conductive. So this conductive material can then be mixed with the graphene and that makes what they use in batteries. The best batteries in the world today are 20% carbon black and then the rest of it's graphene and other products to make Mm -hmm. the the conductive portions. Now, the, the reason that that's important is because the, uh, uh, the material we're making is a side effect of operating. See, we needed that Next. heat to run our extraction or run our cellulose degumming, or run any number of other industrial processes like ethanol production that require heat. We mm-hmm. get to do that all for free because we didn't pay, it, pay power, money for it. And what we did is when the steam is coming off of the molten material that has the graphite in it, We capture that in a turbine and then that steam is hot water that we're able to use for these uh, industrial processes. So we actually get two energy. We get the engine, we get the steam, and then we get more heat energy that we use in these processes. And that's how we maximize the value of what we're doing through the entire industrial process. And what that creates is a biorefinery, an assembly line that makes pharmaceutical products, it makes cannabinoids, Mm -hmm. you can do neat things like grow bacteria with that warm water and bioreactors to make targeted non uh targeted pharmaceuticals and things like that or um, they can even make isopropyl alcohol and acetone with bacteria that heat can be used for yeast for fermentation for ethanol all of that means these processes now become zero energy but you didn't lose the electricity and we're not violating thermodynamics you use the hotter version of that energy earlier. And then you step it down, capturing it again and again, through wow. each through process. And then that means now if I just make CBD and that's all I do, then yeah. I have to live and die on the sword of CBD. That's, that's mm-hmm. everything I have is waste. My plant material that comes out of my facility, waste, yeah. my energy I use waste, the, the yeah. chilling I did waste, all of it just becomes waste. And then I eat all that. And then I try and make a profit for me. Operating is just material cost. And then I diversified into all these other values. And so it's an assembly line that creates products, but it also sequesters carbon. See, the farmer in the field, we use our technology at the hemp blockchain to blockchain the data to make them log their data in a way that allows and then validate it with third parties, drones, soil tests, scientists on spot checks on different fields with an algorithm. And we're doing this with. Uh, Algorand, uh, which is one of the leading cryptocurrencies. They're the first carbon neutral currency uh, or, or cryptocurrency. And uh, Silvio Macaulay is a Turing Award winner, teaches cryptography at MIT, pulled, pulled a whole team of MIT folks together to build this uh, crypto. And, and then with them is Global Logic. Uh, they got bought by hitachi for 9.8 billion dollars we talked to their we're, we're part of their we we work with their top staff um coo ctos so and with their top blockchain uh expert uh raj and so with these folks and they, and they have twenty thousand programmers by the way and so with these folks we're designing this top-end software that will track all of the data in the farm and what they do then we will tokenize a carbon credit on an NFT, load it with real money, which now means we have an actual cryptocurrency with real cash value. And money. then that is then sent to our process that emissions-free makes this material. Now, this material is this plant right here, but this plant is 0.45% to 0.43% carbon.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: so that means that all of this carbon in my hand right now is now captured. This carbon in this little jar is not getting out into the air. It's not going to do anything but sit in there and not be in the atmosphere messing up the earth. So because of that, our process generates additional carbon credits. You get carbon credits for pyrolysizing and not emitting. And we get energy. We get electricity, which can be converted into hydrogen with a hydrogen converter. We get our syngas, which we have as well. And then we have all these peripheral processes that we run with the system to make these products that are necessary to have two. And what you're doing is you're transporting it to all one location, right? So you're not taking it from the guy over there to the guy over here, to the guy over there. All those transportation costs are what kill the actual economy of the system. You set this up on rail, rail spurs, you bring it in with the cheapest form of transit possible, and then you operate the system, giving energy and products to the people around you. And, And where it gets exciting is back to cement this material is structural so you don't need to actually have a co2 curing plant that you take non-structural carbon design a special uh type of internal lego lock and then fight people who already have a patent on that and are restricting that technology in order that they can make money for all their investments rightly and so you got a big quagmire you're getting into going that route yeah, and then you have to fight the government to tell them that you're going to put this in it places and they're going to be like, that's non-structural. It doesn't meet MPA. So then you have to prove it and blah, blah, blah. So that's going to take them a while. So instead, just dump that carbon I make in cement. If you have the proper ratio, which we have the recipes for, there's plenty of testing on it because this material, it already exists in our world from a hydrocarbon source. This mm-hmm. is exactly the same as the carbon black made from coal plants and that's the place that makes carbon black there's there's other than organic sources you get carbon black from coal plants and all the rubber and tires mostly all the uh this microphone here that's black my cracking behind me all the black plastic you see is from coal plants and they burn up coal and then what's left is this crystalline carbon that they then micronize and dump in products so for us, what we do is we do that with the bioorganic material and we make it cheaper than anyone because we have all these other processes to rely on. And right. so by, by doing that, we can then offset, say say we offset, I'll say 10%, 15% of cement. Well, we didn't just offset 10 or 15%. and we didn't need any special um, we didn't need any special system to do it. What, what we're able to do, is the carbon credits that we generated growing in the farm and the carbon credits that we generated by making the material mean that not only did we use less of a really carbon expensive material, but we also sequestered all this material here. Mm -hmm. And when you take this, you can look at the pyramids, they've been standing for a while. If you go to your asphalt or your road, that asphalt is all carbon black from coal and fly ash. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that's going away. We're getting rid of it so how are you going to get more roads you're going to import it from china so now you yeah. just added to the carbon cost of all of this so so with that we actually get to double the carbon value because we sequestered carbon in the making of the product mm-hmm. over the other use product and then what we did is we also offset the use of this uh, material like say this drywall right here right. so because of that we can look at the the amount saved and the carbon credits generated as you know, 10 to 20% reduction of the cement material. Now, I would say this, working with cement to get incremental changes that will make maximum impact is probably for the best. Working with these groups that already have the funding and infrastructure to give them products that can meet their needs and move faster. Because again, to do this all with hempcrete, a non-structural material that you need to reinforce with other materials Mm -hmm. that cost carbon, that you can't transport very well, this you can just do anywhere. You just just do like you computer. were saying
0: earlier, instead of destroying the infrastructure that there is right now, we can um, supply something that can change the percentage and make it um, uh, better, a little bit better for our planet, while we're helping, also helping uh, the farmers to grow more. <laughs> right,
1: which which helps accelerate this whole process and create right. the industry so that the next guy. He can come up with the hundred percent solution. I'm not smart enough. I got, I got, I got this one. I have all this energy I'm generating. These yeah. other things, but it's, it's
0: like the yeah. in between, and everything has to have its process, right? And mm-hmm. and so instead of trying to destroy something, we can work with it, right? And and um,
1: destroying that infrastructure would take a lot of carbon.
0: You'd have to take out
1: all that machinery. You have to build new machinery. You have to build yeah. new buildings. That's a lot of construction. Like yeah. no one works that into their equation. It, it becomes ridiculous. Cement's so big; it's been there for so long. And by the way, I live right by the home with cement. Portland's right down the street. Portland cement is from Portland. <laughs> that's, that's where they. That's what. That's where it comes from. So, so like it's it's uh, that that whole process can just. And by the way, drywall and gypsum and all that same thing. Like, funny enough, this right here, this is gypsum and drywall. This is actually a fertilizer. When you're, if you make hemp paper on this and paint it with a limestone graphene paint uh, or a limestone carbon paint, then literally your walls are non-toxic. They actually, carbon absorbs a lot of stuff. And so you, you actually can have, uh, break down your wall, crush it up. So you're and dump you're it helping
0: the, um, to almost soak in the toxins. So mm-hmm. even if it's, it's with it, like the drywall. Yeah, they're,
1: they're trapped. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so in the sink,
0: what about the paint? Time? Cause the paint is the most toxic too.
1: Not if you use our system, not, so there's, so you can make a paint that's a uh, 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 it's called graphene stone, but you can do it with carbon too. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh there's, there, are, there are non-toxic paints out there. There's milk-based paints. Right. Other paints. There's so, and these paints are fine. And when you look at the other component of drywall, 10% of it's paper. You got the paper on the, that could be hemp paper. So, we can green right. 20 to 30% of drywall. Plastic.
0: Thank you for listening to Hemp Foundation Talks. Hemp Foundation is a nonprofit social enterprise on a mission to provide solutions for our current ecological crisis. Hemp Foundation and their brand, Uki, has created a value chain from village farms to the marketplace, utilizing the many benefits of hemp to overcome deforestation, fight plastic pollution, and support regenerative practices to heal our earth. The foundation supports over 250 small village farmers in the Indian Himalayan region. In addition, they employ widows and women in the production of over 500 hemp products for the marketplace, from clothing to food to hemp bags, a large range of textiles, embroidered fabrics, home goods, and even hemp bioplastic. To learn more, visit hempfoundation.net.